and bellying up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar, but this time it's on Zoom. My name is Craig Toth, here talking with Jeffrey Paternostro, at Jeff Paternostro on X, lead prospect writer, multimedia production manager, baseball prospectus, at Baseball Pro. Jeffrey, how you doing today, brother? Good. Um, we're in the home stretch of prospect list. San Francisco just went up today. I think we have seven left, six left, six or seven left. We're done a week from Monday is all I know. So <laughs> you got that on I'm your at. calendar. <laughs> You're checking off the days. But uh, you guys did put out the uh, the Pirates list not too long ago. Mm-hmm. The top 100 came out. A lot of stuff to talk about there. Before we jumped on, I I talked about how you made some waves on Pirates Twitter a little bit. Uh, We will definitely get to that. But I don't want to go over everything you guys put into this because I obviously want people to go to Baseball Prospectus. I want them to to subscribe like I do, uh, get all of the great scouting stuff. There's also some dynasty stuff on there that can maybe help me with my uh, my terrible fantasy baseball team, which is a dynasty. I, I you know, use that a lot. Uh, I just love prospects, and I'm probably a prospect hoarder in that. But in the in the top twenty, um, the big things that came out of this is that there is just a ton of pitching. I talked about this on a previous episode. Um, like seven of the top 10, and then even 11, 12, and 13, you know, all pitching. But it all starts with number one, Paul Skeens. And you put something in there. It's uh, you, I believe, uh, Ben Spaniers in Mm -hmm. doing that. Some of the other, uh, the BP staff, uh, mentioning his dead zone shape on his fastball, talking about uh, the velo, which I'm – this is all stuff. I I was like, okay, you know, saying that there, he's gonna be pitching five days a week. So the velo might go down a little bit. And, and I don't want to, this is paraphrasing you here, but for the most part, you said we know more about fastballs than we did five years ago, likely a number two or three starter health permitting. But I mean, he does still have, you know, that high ceiling. So on that, Jeffrey, um, a lot is talked about with that, with Paul Skeens. What's your impressions on Paul Skeens? So Paul Skeens is probably the most like public prospect of recent years. And Jason Dominguez is in this category as well. But because I think a lot more people are watching college baseball now, college baseball is a lot more accessible now, uh, you know, through ESPN Plus or the various, you know, conference streaming networks as well. You, know, you could sit down on a Friday night and throw on an LSU game on your, you know, on your Amazon fire stick or whatever, and watch Paul Skeen's pitch. And he had a hell of a season for LSU. Don't get me wrong. And he, look, you, you covered a lot of the quibbles we have with the overall profile. We have him as a top 10 prospect in baseball. We have him as the best pitching prospect in baseball. I do want to make that clear uh, from the start. <laughs> we had him as a top three. Look, I would not have taken him first overall because I am going to generally lean towards college bats just because they're safer and especially with Cruz and Langford and the performance they had uh in college you know Cruz has been a prospect really since the prep you know Langford was a backup catcher that had more of a breakout season his junior year but you can look at them and just see they're very safe good regulars that can could be superstars too I don't want to downplay that uh Skeens was a perfectly fine pick first overall 
you're, if you're going to take a picture first overall, you want it to be someone with Paul Skeen's profile. Don't get me wrong. And we can really dig in on the fastball if you want. His fastball shape has been talked to death really even before he transferred LSU because that was his main issue at, at Air Force. Like The slider was always there. It was fastball shape. And they fixed a lot of the fastball shape issues at LSU. And he added velocity as well at LSU. And look, I don't know exactly where he's going to sit as a starter. You know, I, I don't think he's going to start in Altoona or Indianapolis or where, where how exactly they're going to measure out his innings next year and how quickly they're going to move him to the majors. That's that's all to be seen. But he's going to be throwing on a different schedule than he did in college for the most part. You know, once the conference playoffs and the College World Series came around, he was throwing on a more, uh, you know, something more akin to a professional schedule. And look, the velocity was still there, so it might still be there. I don't know. You can't read anything much into his pro debut. He was throwing one or two innings at a time. I would expect him to sit like 96 to 98 if he sits higher than that. Not impossible, certainly. Hey, look, when you throw that hard, and there are some things to like in the fastball. It's got a it's got a good approach angle. He, he commands it well, which is important. He can put it at the top of the zone pretty much at will. I don't think it's, I saw the MLB pipeline poll. I don't think it's the best fastball in the minors. It's a very good fastball. His best pitch is his slider. His slider is going to be an absolute monster. It might be the best pitch in the minors right now. It'll be one of the top 10 or so breaking balls once he gets to the majors, I think. Uh, I've talked to scouts that like the change. I think the change will get there. With the fastball slider combination, that's a nice to have rather than a half to have. It's just, he's the pitcher. And <laughs> pitcher is the, is the short answer. And there are concerns about his fastball shape. You know, the Pirates had him playing around with a sinker a little bit after the draft. They are as they are an organization that likes to give pitchers sinkers, even if they don't necessarily throw sinkers as amateurs. So we'll see how that plays out. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to give him a different fastball look. You know, uh, Jesse Roach, who's our fantasy guy, uh, put a Bobby Miller comp on him. And Bobby Miller also has that sinker just for a different fastball look. And he throws high 90s with uh, worse command and similar shape issues that that Skeens has. And without the, he's got a very good breaking ball, but not as good as Skeens. But like, look, if you get, and I said this, like, if you get Javi, I keep the, coming back to Javier Vasquez as like, a, as like a comp, as a guy that gives him a little more hard contact than you think as hard as he throws, but misses a lot of bats. Like if you get Javier Vasquez with the number one overall pick, you're doing so well. Like that's a hall of very good. I know he has some bad seasons with the Yankees and things like that. And that's kind of <laughs> the colors people's impressions of him. He was a great pitcher for 15 years. You know, if you get that with the number one overall pick in the draft, you're doing so well. And I think Skeens has that, has that potential. And yeah, the ace upside is still there. It's not that, you know, teams can fix fastball shape. You know, you can do things with, with, uh, with approach angle or with grip and you can, make changes to fastball shape. And again, some of that's just going to be his command is so good at that level of velocity versus someone like the comp. I, I like, I did a little bit of number crunching uh, before I came on because I knew Skeens and I knew Skeens' fastball shape was going to come up. And I just want to make one point about fastball velocity on its face because obviously Skeens can throw a hundred plus. He's got that in his locker. He'll have that in his locker in the majors, even if he's sitting more upper nineties. That's just not, we just have more information, as you said, about what makes fastballs good. And Hunter Green, who is probably the closest comp to Skeens in terms of starters that can sit high 90s and throw 102, because there are not many of them. You know, he gets a 
whiff rate of around 25% on his fastball, which is good. It's not amazing. It's good. And when batters make contact, the slugging is over 500. You know, slugging percentage is over 500. He has a real home run problem on his fastball in the zone because it's a very predictable shape. And you get to the majors and guys see 98, 99, 100 fairly regularly. Not every day, but fairly regularly. And then you look at someone like Freddie Peralta for the Brewers who throws 94 and strike and gets 30% whiff rate on his fastball and a slugging against under 400. So, and there's reasons for that. There's their shape and release point and things like that. And we just have all that information now. And I think that information is important to consider. And the fact that he was blowing college guys away at 98 and 99, because they don't, they don't see that every day. <laughs> uh, doesn't mean he's going to do it in the majors. Again, it's a very good fastball. I don't think it's one of the best fastballs among prospects right now, but it's a very good fastball. It's a great slider. There's other stuff there to like. He commands it well. He's going to be in the majors quickly. He's a top 10 prospect in baseball. Yeah, and the the two things I thought of while you were talking there is is number one is is I've heard and I've read it in, in several places and, and thought about this is that and I've heard that maybe Bubba Chandler's, you know, fastball is actually yep. better. Jared Jones too. Yeah. Than Paul Skeens. And then you said, and a Jared Jones. And the other thing you, you said there is, I don't remember what major leaguer said it, but it said a major leaguer can, can, uh, can time a freight train. Yeah. Like if, if they, if they know, you know, that something's coming and they know how hard you throw, if it's not, you know, pinpointed, if it doesn't have the shape, if it doesn't fool them, then I mean, don't knock the ball out of the park, like no matter how fast it's coming. So that's, that's just something I was thinking about there. The the second prospect, obviously that needs to be talked about is, is Termar Johnson and Termar Johnson um, read your guys stuff. I, I looked at the stuff. I believe it was from baseball America. And, and a lot of the stuff is very similar is that he's kind of gone from this, uh, this hit tool prospect to a, a power over hit and, and it's maybe kind of sacrificing some of that contact. I, I saw you guys and I've seen it other places as well. Um, is that the zone contact issues, especially with the breaking ball. Mm. And, and that is going to make people worry because I mean, obviously when Tamar was drafted, he, he like fired pirates fans up the night he was drafted saying, I can't wait to win a world series here. Um, you know, was, and, and does hit the ball all over the place. Yeah. And, and as much as, and as much as Ben, your colleague probably likes watching games in Greensboro to me, I'm like, if we could just get the Pirates like affiliate out of Greensboro, because you either see a guy give up a ton of home runs or you yeah. see a guy hit yeah. a ton of home runs. And it's like sometimes their tools get overestimated. Mm. So, so, Jeffrey, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you guys are seeing with Tamar Johnson. Right. Well, I can tell you as good as Greensboro is to hit at. And it's very good. Bradenton is not. So and he obviously <laughs> he was at both stops last year. Yeah. Uh, this has been an issue for a number of years now where you get these top level prep hitting prospects, guys that, you know, you watch them on the showcase circuit or in high school ball or, or where taking batting practice, you're like, that's a future 300 hitter. You know, the extreme example of this is Mickey Moniak, who went number one overall to the Phillies in 2016, I think, uh, and, you know, has has gotten to the majors as like the extreme power overhead guy. Uh, uh, you know, his, his strikeout to walk rate is uh, obscene, frankly, but he has tapped into a lot of, uh, a lot of full side power and kind of made it work at least a little bit for him more as a bench or platoon outfielder, which is again, not great for the number one overall pick, but you know, Termai Johnson is not 
quite, he's trending in that direction. He's not there yet. Uh, I've had scouts tell me that they think he is kind of selling out a little bit for power right now. And there's a, there's maybe still a balance to be struck there. Uh, the approach is really good. Uh, he does hit the ball harder than you think. Again, not a big guy. I think he's listed at like five, nine, which means he's probably five, seven <laughs> and really had some bump, uh, at a ball this year, like kind of surprising, surprising power. And he doesn't, he expanded the zone more after his promotion, which is, is fairly normal, but ran pretty, pretty good chase rates, good swing decisions in Bradenton. It's just, you, there's like red flags here and it is the zone contact because the con the quality of pitches you see in the zone in, in a ball and high a, you know, for a player of that age. And yeah, he's young for the levels. I, I really want to see it over 80%. That's like the, the cutoff for me. And he was high seventies. Again, this is not fait accompli. This is not something that can't be fixed. Uh, it can be, but this is where it's trending right now is sort of like a, a three true outcomes second baseman, which is a little weird as a profile. And also I want to see how durable the power is. If he's going to do this and double a is going to be the test there. I don't know if he'll start there this year. I wouldn't be shocked, but I think he'll probably start back in Greensboro. And then you're looking, you know, for a month or six weeks of consolidation before you move him along to Altoona. But you really want to see that, power if this is what his profile is going to be going forward i don't know that it is but it is trending in that direction he really needs to be like a 25 home run a guy a year home run a year guy there we go to make that uh to make that work and again he the exit velocities are good they're very good for his age there's not a lot of physical projection there so again he's kind of turned into a prove it at every level guy for me given the the changes to the skill set so you need to see what's now a very, uh, it's a skill set that has much finer lines because if he loses a little bit of end zone or he starts expanding the zone a little bit more when he sees better breaking stuff, it's, you know, when you're looking at like a guy that again was sort of be a 300 hitter as an amateur that now looks like, oh, if he hits 250, it'll work, but there's, he's got to keep hitting 250 basically. Yeah. And that's where, like, I mean, I think that, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, you know, thought he would come out, be like that over 300 hitter hit for some power. I mean, obviously has good, you know, strikeout rates to, to, to base on ball rates, like the strikeout rates a little bit higher, but the base on ball rate comes up enough to kind of, to make up for that. But it was definitely not exactly what I expected to see from him you know, as a, as a prospect and he did show power, you know, in, in Bradenton, which, yeah, I mean, people would have been down there. The winds, the winds blow so crazily there that like pretty much it's usually like knocking stuff down as opposed to, you know, carrying it out. People are like, Oh, it's windy. So it's, you know, you're going to hit home runs. I'm like, no, most of the time that wind is like blowing in and knocking stuff down. So it, it's definitely good to see. I think he's going to start in Greensboro as well. Ben Sherrington has kind of shown that he likes to give guys like uh, places to take off from mm -hmm. uh, to have success at first uh, instead of like throwing him into a situation. But I mean, he also has given like pretty quick promotions uh, to, to players uh, like, uh, like a Jared Jones mm -hmm. last year um, was in Altoona for a shorter period of time. I saw him as maybe a cup of coffee guy in Indianapolis and spent a lot of time there. And we could kind of just jump right into it here is that after Tamar Johnson, 
you have a string of pitchers. Like I said, seven out of the top 10. Mm. And then those few after there, I believe that was like a Hunter Barco, Xander Muth, uh, guys like that. Um, so in that three to seven range, it kind of seems like you might be more of a Jones guy. But before we hopped on here, we talked about that there's not as much separation between you know, a lot of those guys, it, you could almost, in my eyes, maybe interchange the numbers and they're all, you know, kind of at the same level. Yeah. I think Jones is the clear number three for me. He was using consideration for the one-on-one. I kind of would have liked to get him on it. Sometimes it just, you just run out of names basically, which is what happened this year. But he's a guy that took a little bit of a step forward. It's like a subtle one, right? Because there's not, I think the slider's better than it was last year. Command's a little bit better, but just the success he had in the upper minors, I think, makes a makes a big difference there. He's a guy now that's one phone call away. You know, he's a major league rotation candidate uh, in short order in, in 2024. But yeah, beyond that, again, I'm actually not a big Bubba Chandler guy. That's more Ben than me. But <laughs> yeah, I kind of like uh, Ashcraft a little bit more. And he kind of liked Chandler a little bit more. And I kind of liked Harrington a little bit more. And he liked Solomedo a little bit more. And we, again, we kind of went back and forth on this. And it is a, it's a group of guys that are, you know, again, in the generally speaking, for Lieber risk is there probably more for Ashcraft given the injuries, if anything, but like, you know, three, four starter range. And, you know, you know, it mentioned to me that, it, 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 that people took the large number of average-ish starting pitching <laughs> prospects as a, as a bit of a dig. And it's not. Uh, this kind of starting pitching depth is actually fairly unusual for the for the list. Like having a you know Owen Kellington type outside of the top ten is not uh, not usual um, for a lot of these systems. That kind of thing. even moves to an extent. Although I have concerns about the strike throwing there. He's also a recent prep draftee, so that'll get sorted out. But you collect enough of these arms as as the Pirates have. There's a good chance. That, you know, we talk about OFP as 75th percentile outcome. I can give you the whole spiel on that. But the long and the short of it is that you collect enough guys that are potential number three or number four starters. So somewhere between league average pitchers and, you know, 10 to 15% above league average by whatever your uh, ER estimator, ERA estimator of choices. The odds are, this doesn't always happen. Uh, and we can have a longer conversation probably not for this podcast about Pirates pitching development writ large. But there's a good chance like one of them's a number two or number three starter, right? Um, you get this level of arm talent, this, this collection of arm talent. The likelihood is that like, as Jones kind of did this year, that somebody's going to pop or find another level. Um, and then that's a that's a good problem to have. Like, obviously, you are not going to start all of these guys at one time. That's not the way baseball works. That's not the way prospects work. But you get this much of a collection of talent. And like, look, you can also trade them for major league roster needs. I know the pirates don't generally do that, but that is the thing that is an option you have. If you have, you know, a bit of a log jam between Solomedo and Ashcraft and Jones and, you know, Chandler and, and Harrington are probably a year or two behind that, but it is, it is a good problem to have. And I think they're, they're in pretty good shape for minor league pitching right now. I, I, the actual issue is they don't really have a lot of bats. Uh, is, is the larger issue. And look, some of that is, you know, Henry Davis graduated and Rodriguez graduated. I know he's going to be out with the, the UCL surgery, but, you know, Leo Verpiguero graduated. So they have, that is, you know, these are, these are major league factors 
we'll put it that way for now. O'Neill Cruz, another one, obviously was a, a top 20 prospect. So it, all of this stuff is kind of cyclical. Uh, the system's a little bit down from what it's been in recent years. The pitching is still very good. The, the bats are pretty shallow. And yes, if you want to rank Anthony Solomedo at four in this system, I am not going to argue <laughs> with you very strenuously as the short form. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, people, they, they get their prospects that they kind of hold on to and mm -hmm. they, they want to see them. And I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I usually trust the scouts, the experts and realizing that a lot of times there's not a, a big degree of difference between, you know, certain players. And I mean, most of these guys, I mean, even including a, you know, a Thomas Harrington, even though he was, I will always mention this, the, the Campbell fighting camels, I will get that yes. hat at some point in time, um, are still, you know, very young arms and mm -hmm. they've moved through the system, you know, fairly quickly. You had, you know, Jared Jones, a two-way player in high school, yep. um, and then, you know, moved to the mound and he's, you know, already in triple A Anthony Solomito, you have him, you know, not throwing that many innings in high school. And then he's already in, in double a, uh, Baba Chandler, another two-way player, extremely young. So, I mean, and like you said, like an Owen Kellington, a, a shim is another guy who, you know, yeah. we haven't seen, you know, a, a ton of work from him, unfortunately, uh, just due to injuries and different stuff. But I mean, the big part for me there is that, yeah, we're talking about like not having, you know, impact bats. Um, in your list, uh, you have uh, you have the Sung Che Chang, mm -hmm. you have Mitch Jeb um, in there who, I mean, are fairly, in my eyes, like safe bats, yeah. if, mm -hmm. if, if that's like a good way to put it. Not high impact, but, you know, I think you guys put them as, you know, more than likely major leaguers. I mean, not guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed sure. for a prospect, but you know, you could see them being contributors, but they don't have that impact stuff. So people go back to the pirates in the early, you know, 2010s where it's like, you know, you had Andrew McCutcheon coming up, you had Starling Marte coming up, mm -hmm. you had to a lesser degree, Neil Walker coming up. You had, you know, some of these guys who had these, these bats and, but you've also said um, a lot of those guys are already at the majors. Now they've already graduated. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, are they going to be able to perform there? Um, to me, like if a if a team like the Pirates is going to succeed, it's going to come from the arms. And it showed last year that they didn't have enough. We thought they did. You need all the arms. Yep. yep. That so, is that is how the that's how the league's going right now. Like you do whatever pitching depth you think you have, you need more. And look, the the bats are there. The you know, this generation of, you know, this core of the Pirates, let's say, is not going to rise and fall on the success of Mitch Jeb or, or Sung Chi Chen, or really even to an extent, Tamar Johnson. It's going to be, you know, is Brian Hayes's power breakout at the end of 2023 real? And I love Brian Hayes. I really hope it is. Uh, you know, is, is O'Neill Cruz, you know, a healthy O'Neill Cruz able to take a little bit of a step forward with the bat? Because there are some ludicrous high end outcomes there. If he, if he does, if he makes a little more contact given what he can do at the, at the plate and in the field, you know, is, you know, if it looks like Henry Davis is going to be the catcher, uh, given Andy Rodriguez's <laughs> injury. Uh, it, and I guess you live with it if he hits, which he did, uh, to an extent last year. So they have, you know, it, it's all there. Obviously Ryan Reynolds is, is locked up long-term. 
So it, if you look around and like you you can squint and see it, but it it's going to have to come from the players that have already you know functionally graduated from my purview at least. Yeah, and and the last player that that I want to talk to you about here is everybody thinks that I I dislike this player. I just see a a, a wide array of outcomes for him. You use the word outcomes. I, I will use the mm-hmm. same. And you also tweeted about this guy too. You said. I kind of like Jack Brannigan. <laughs> I do kind of like Jack Brannigan. <laughs> uh, it's again, this is another situation where he uh, college bat that was at levels that weren't entirely. You know, probably look. He was. He should have done what he did last year as a college bat at 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 A ball and Hyatt. That's fine. Those are the those are functionally the the table stakes, right? Uh, I, but I was working him up, and and he did get to Greensboro, so so Ben saw him a little bit. But I did some video work on him too when I was sort of canvassing the Pirates list, and I'm like, I kind of like, I kind of like this. Like, I, I don't <laughs> kind of like it. Like again, I don't know. You can get into this is an old sort of uh, scouting cliche that uh, myself and, and Jarrett Seidler, other senior prospect writer, talk about a lot. But you can get in on these pro- like you you watch this guy, and you're like. And you'll talk to scouts and they'll say the same thing too. It's like, I, maybe not a particular prospect to note, like a next 10 guy like Brannigan is. And you'll watch me like, I really like Jack Brannigan. Like, you know, you can, you can do a bunch of different stuff, you know, you play a bunch of positions. There's like sneaky power there. The approach is good, good baseball player. And then you'd be like, what'd you write him up as? Like 45. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of how I feel about it. Like there might be a little bit more there, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Again, that's another guy I'm going to see at double A to see if sort of the, the power is a little more durable, but yeah, I just, I kind of like him. And look, look, you need guys like that, right? That kind of, uh, it's not even organizational depth. It's better than that. You, you need a guy that can start for a month when Cabrian Hayes pulls his hamstring and just everything keeps moving forward smoothly. And I think he can be that kind of guy for you. Yeah. The defense is, is definitely not a question for him. Yeah. The arm is obviously not a question for him. The strikeout rates a little bit high yeah. and then went to Arizona and just, I don't like the the AFL stuff. And uh, (laughs) we just put, we just put up our Padres list on Wednesday. So I had to write up Jacob Marcy, who is the AFL MVP and hit like 300, 400, 700 or something there. Like the the, the Arizona fall league is useful for a number of things Uh, for prospect writers to be able to get tans in October uh, to see if pitchers are still healthy. Or, or are healthy, basically. You know, it's, it's a good place to get extra reps if a guy hasn't been healthy. But it's not the best place to make, like, broad proclamations about what a prospect is over the the balance of the season, uh, especially with someone like Brannigan, who played basically the full season, and, and Marcy played too. Like, we have looks at Brannigan uh, on staff. We have looks at Marcy on staff. Uh, I did video on both of them. We were doing the Padres and Pirates list. So we the, the AFL stuff is... I don't think particularly meaningful and it, it cuts in both directions, good or bad. You know, you, you can look at it as a guy like, well, Brannigan played. it's a long season. He played all year. And then he, he sit, sits at home for a couple of weeks and then goes to Arizona and has to get back off. And the schedule's a little off and you get Marcy who hit great. And like, well, you're seeing a widely variable quality of pitching. Uh, it's a launching pad. All those parks are launching pads. So I try not to like, there's a guy or two every year where, the Arizona Fall League is like meaningful information. Uh, last year, it was Mason Miller for the A's. It's like, oh, Mason Miller is healthy and he's throwing really good. Like the velocity is 
upper 90s. The breaking ball looks great. That's like useful information to me. You know, Jack Brannigan not really <laughs> posting a good OPS over a month playing four out of seven days. It's not really useful information to me. Yeah, and that's just like tongue in cheek with me because I I yeah. talked about the Arizona Fall League and just basically said that I mean there's also guys there that are working on certain pitches. There's guys no. that are you know tweaking, trying out new approaches to to get into the off season with. It's just definitely a thing. But I mean I had to bring him up since you mentioned him because people probably think that I don't like Jack Brannigan. I actually like him a lot. Um, I just kind of at one, t- at one point in time mentioned him as a guy that could fall into the, the Matt Frazier, Matt Gorski sure. trend. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. that when they went from Greensboro to Altoona, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like that's where pirates, I mean, before people used to go to Indianapolis to kind of like, yeah. I wouldn't say die, but to, to find their plateau. And now it kind of seems like, you know, Altoona has been the measuring stick, but Jeffrey, I could talk baseball all day. People are waiting for some beer reviews here, but sure. if, if people, if people do not do this, you guys have to follow Jeffrey Patanostro. You have to follow, follow. I think it's Craig Goldstein, the editor. You have to follow Ben Spanier, follow baseball prospectus, get on there, you know, subscribe to it. Um, has a, like I said, just a lot of great information, very analytical. If analytical stuff is your thing, which I mean, for a guy that is my age, that's not usually the norm, but uh, it kind of tickled my fancy or I got the bug a few years ago and I just dig into it all the time now. Uh, you know, Jeffrey, it's funny. I'm, I, been- I've always said I'm a, I'm a dinosaur in that way. Like I want to go to the park and see the guys and see the players. I always have, you know, when I first started, I was driving up and down the Eastern seaboard, but you got yeah. like, you have to, you have to consider the data now. Like the teams are obviously doing it. It's just, it's more actionable. And I sit on a guy for six games and he plays another 120 over the course of the year. I'm not necessarily getting representative looks. Yeah, absolutely. And believe me, I mean, I'll be, I got my Altoona stuff on. I'm ready for the curve baseball just as much as I am for, you know, the pirate season yeah. to start. So I, I'm definitely I got my, in that my, direction. Whatever well. it is, March, uh, March 13th, whatever the prospect showcases in, in Arizona. Let me down. Well, here's the thing is I, I, I will be in uh, I will be in Florida uh, on the 14th for the Pirates versus the Orioles. The yeah. uh, the, the showcase that, that'll I, be that'll be a good one. <laughs> I, I scheduled I scheduled my trip around that because my wife was like, yeah. "Didn't you go on the weekend the past you know few times you've gone?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, there this is going on, and I I really want to see this game, and they're playing at Atlanta earlier in the week, and I really yeah. want to see Atlanta, so eh, got to make the trip during the week." <laughs> but Jeffrey, I appreciate it. Let's get to some beer reviews, guys. I was telling Jeffrey before this that usually I have like the local craft beers, different stuff like that. Last week I did for dry January. I did some non-alcoholic beers. Uh, This time, the weekend was crazy. The Steeler game was supposed to be on Sunday, got moved to Monday, had people Mm -hmm. coming over, sent my wife out for some beers, and she brought me back the Samuel Adams primetime beers. And here's the funny thing is, is for me, 
Samuel Adams is like one of the original craft beers. And a lot of times just because it has become so popular and so mainstream, it, it kind of loses its luster a little bit. But I will say these four beers that I had, and I'd had the, I'd had one of them before I would had the cold snap white ale. Mm-hmm. That one is, you know, about a 5.3%. Um, and it's, a, it's an easy drinking beer. These, this would be the pack that I would probably get if I was inviting friends over. And I think maybe that's where my wife's thinking was at, because I mean, if it's something that you want to drink, but you also want to have stuff there uh, for your friends who are not big craft beer drinkers, they had the red zone lager at 6.2% cold snap at 5.3%, a breakaway blonde ale at 4.7% and a postseason IPA, which did not have a great deal of hoppiness, Coming in at 4.5%. Uh, Jeffrey, who's probably never listened to this before, <laughs> I do what is called the Waboba, the weighted based on batting average for my beers. Uh-huh. Uh, starting with the scales, uh, the, the 400s and above is the Clemente. The 300s is the Stargell. The 200s is obviously the Mendoza because, you know, why not? And then the 100s is one of my favorite players of all time, and that is Kevin Polkovich, uh, was just basically a guy who hit in the 180s for the Pirates. So for these one guys, I'm going to give it a straight across the board. I'm going to give these ones a 375. Weighted based on batting average for all of these would go down a little bit. So they all come down to a 325. But this would be one that if you are, you know, like I said, having people over, you like craft beer, but you know other people don't, you can just basically say, well, I have a lager. I have a Blondale. And people just basically be like, okay, I'll drink that. That sounds good. So this is a good one to have in your fridge. Not the you know top pack that I've ever gotten. And and Jeffrey, what are you drinking today? So I have uh, from uh, TF Brewing, which is right in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, there, they do a lot of uh, German and and Czech styles. That's kind of their thing. They have an unfiltered German style Pilsner. This is their this is their Keller beer. Uh, I assume it's exactly five. Oh, it's actually four point seven. Generally, everything here, uh, if you serve it on draft, has to be five percent or less. So that's a lot of the stuff that gets canned. It gets canned at exactly. Uh, exactly five percent this is really good this is it's a little bit warmer today i had to shovel out my driveway twice yesterday but it's like 47 degrees so i wanted something a little bit crisp uh this is like one of their main uh mainline brews like i can get it in my local grocery store i don't have to go to the brewery even the brewery's like 10 minutes from me uh, it's just a very easy drinking pilsner a little bit a little bit of hop note on it i prefer i actually prefer they have a, a further conditioned organic one that i have to go to the brewery to get which is a little more character to it. But this is just, again, this is a great one. It's winter. It's not even five o'clock here yet. You know, you want to have a little sip of something that's just, it's, it's very refreshing. It goes down easy. I can have two in a night and not feel awful the next day. So that's what I am drinking. Okay. And what what would you give it on the uh, mm-hmm. the, the Waboba, the weighted based on batting average? So this is like, a, it, this is like, it's like a, it's a nice everyday player. So probably like a 340 or a 350. Okay. Like you're, you're happy to see it in the lineup. You know, you might want to, <laughs> you might want to occasionally look for, look for an upgrade. It's not something you necessarily, uh, as you seek out, but it's, it's generally available, generally good, always reliable. It's very, really, you know, it's not like a, a month to month, uh, variant player. He's just gonna, he's gonna post his like, <laughs> 
280, 340, 450 line for you and day in and day out. Yeah. Well, well, Jeffrey, I will tell you, you are the first guest that has participated in the beer review. I appreciate that, brother. The long like prospect said, list season. <laughs> you're like counting down the days, yeah. counting down the days.